I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big Money Siege has traded in the sunglasses from Florida for earbuds. It looks like you're ready to go on a run. It looks like as soon as this is done, you are about to go on a run somewhere. It's actually true. That's what's that's that is what's <laughs> happening. Because <laughs> I yeah. didn't get it up just, early enough like... to do it before the pod today, so I so I got to do it um, after. Okay, but to be clear, uh, you're going outside to do this, and you're not going on a treadmill, as uh, some of the overdrive boys were uh, were making fun of you for, right? Yeah, this will be an outdoor run. Um, I don't. I this is. I will say this. Obviously, we've talked a number of times about the run streak. You know, whatever, usually when people find out about it, they say like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you did that," or something. Like I've never had pushback, but on I did it. It hit on Friday night with overdrive. And they were giving me pushback. They were trying to say because some of the runs over a thousand plus days have been done on a treadmill. It shouldn't count. Um, the way they likened it to actually, Julian, they said it'd be like if you went to a golf simulator. You don't say to your buddies, "Hey, I went golfing today," um, which I think is a flawed okay, argument. But, like it, but uh, it is because it's not. You know, you still trust me. I still sweat like crazy on a treadmill. I mean, I. I acknowledge it's it is easier to run on a treadmill indoors in when it's minus 30 in Canada. So like there are days I've run on the treadmill when it's easier than what it would be to go outside. And sometimes too, when you're in another city, you don't really know where you're going. You have a, a small window of time. It's just easier to go to the hotel gym to do the run. So instead of figuring out a route and maybe getting lost. So like the, the you know, I'd say 94% of the runs during my streak have been out, outdoors, but there are some that have been done on the treadmill. Yeah, so look, I'm I'm not someone who runs regularly. You are not going to get any judgment from me on uh, how you go about your run streak. So uh, the fact that you're still able to do this and we are past a thousand days is is beyond impressive. I, I, we, I know I we got to get to hockey stuff, but we got to mention that. I just love that I'm getting chirped by the overdrive guys. Like you just go on that show knowing something's coming. Like and, and it's always out of left field. Like I'm telling you, that's the last thing I thought they would be, you know, going in on me for. It was it was a funny conversation. I gotta say the fact that the Overdrive, but for context, for those who are not in Canada, the uh, oh, Overdrive right. show on TSN ten fifty uh, with uh, uh, Jeff O'Neill, Jamie McLennan, and uh, Brian Hayes, uh, obviously national, I mean, based out of that radio station, but uh, you can watch on TSN as well. I believe nationally, uh, one of the best uh, Canadian sports shows uh, that we have. So the fact that uh, CJ gets that placement on that show, I mean, that's that is no small feat, my friend. Right. But when you go there, they, they might even take what you, you know, one of your, your accomplishments and turn it on its head against you. You never know. Yeah, just just ridiculous. Anyway, uh, good on that, but uh, good on the run when you get a chance. But uh, I want to talk about uh, Florida and the All-Star Weekend that you were at. We're going to get to talk about the playoff format. We'll get to sports interaction uh, we're going to look at some teams that uh, have done some things with their cap space. And of course, it's Monday, so we'll get to ask CJ. Um, but I want to ask you about your impressions of the All-Star Weekend in Florida. You were in the building. You saw the events. You saw the players. Uh, take me through it. What, what, what were your impressions, man? How was it? Well, let it be said, I came away able to make a statement that not too many people associated with the event could make. I did not visit the elbow room once while down there. And Such everyone, restraint. everyone from media members to players in the game to agents, um, I'm sure fans that, that were down for the event can not make that statement because from what I heard, it was pretty wild. I won't name names, but there was a lot of a lot of fun to be had in there. So I did avoid that. I'll tell you, I actually love the weekend, honestly. And I think if you just consume it on, you know, in the context of watching the skills competition went on a little too long, I, I would say that's definitely the pacing wasn't great for that. Uh, and then if you watch it through on three tournament, like if that's all you see, I can, I understand the hate. Like I, I do, there's, there's an understanding at the high levels of the NHL that they, they have to keep working to try to find ways to, to breathe some life into it, to, to shake it up. You know, I know we've, we've chopped that around a bunch in the past 
but like the actual weekend itself is awesome. Like the players are so relaxed. I don't know. Everyone just has a good time. Like I, I think you do need a break in your season. And I don't have the answer, honestly, what what's has to happen. I mean, this is what it comes down to for me. The performers have to want right. to perform. And right now, I don't think they do. Like, it's hard to just get the players caring or putting out a little extra effort when, when you're talking about whether it's the skills or, or the game. If there's a way to do that, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I would highly suggest to you that when we get to Toronto next year for, for the All-Star Weekend, it's going to look quite a bit different. Um, I think that they're going to, you know, go back to the drawing board, watch, watch what happened here, you know, brainstorm ideas and at least give it another shot somewhere else. But even if the game kind of stinks and, you know, it, it drags on too long on Friday, I, I still think it's worth doing. There's, there's a ton of league partners down at this event. As I mentioned, it's, it's a big business weekend, you know, NHL owners were in the building, you know, you got families of the players. Like it's just, it's, it's, Kind of like I've said about the draft, it's it's hockey's version of a conference, industry sort of conference. Um, those two events are the times probably where the most number of people from all aspects that around the league or, or league adjacent get together. And so, you know, it was cool. And I think it'll be neat in Toronto. I mean, part of obviously what we all liked in Florida, you know, we literally had a media day availability, Julian, beside the ocean, outdoors. Like it was so... Yeah unique like it was cool obviously in toronto in february 2024 uh we're gonna we're gonna be somewhere where there's heating so we won't be there we won't be outside on, you know on the top of the cn tower i don't think but um you know i think still being such a hockey city like it works in different uh venues and so you know i, I still think the weekend's worth doing let's you know let's reboot it a little bit but i'm not gonna kick it around too much either because i i had a lot of fun i think there's a lot of value seeing players, seeing, seeing people again. And, and, you know, I, I did, I, I come away going like, yeah, that was a fun few days. Okay. Let's put the Toronto portion of this on the side for a second. You did mention Toronto because it was announced that uh, next year's all-star game will be in Toronto. I gotta, I gotta make, I gotta say something about the weekend. Uh, the games itself. Okay. You know, pretty much like what we've seen in the past with the three on three the jerseys are incredible i ordered uh the eastern conference one the one with the black top and then the white bottom like i i love that jersey it's coming in a few days the skills competition did you get a name on it i didn't get a name on it i'm not gonna put a name on it it's probably fair i just keep it blank i need to say something about that friday because as someone who watched it uh off their ipad actually from the comfort of their own home i'm like what the hell is going on can you think of any other year where they've had skills where they start an event and then they stop and they go to another one and they go to another one and they don't finish them. Like it's one thing about like, we can get to uh, the level of effort and and how much the players wanted to get into it, which I think in the breakaway competition, you saw that more than anything else. But like, I, I hated, hated the idea of them starting an event and then not finishing it. And then thinking, okay, we'll just get back to it later in the night that's not how you do it just just go go to the event go through it finish it all the way through and 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 do that that's a big thing um also in terms of players caring that's a that's a tv thing though that wasn't the nhl like that my understanding that's what espn wanted to do it's a new league partner it's a new like i don't think that i'm pretty confident that that won't happen again like i think yes and some of the conversations i had on the ground again with people that could affect this they recognize in real time that that didn't work and, and they haven't even had a chance to really decompress from it. Um, but that was, I think that was a TV decision and yeah, it didn't work. Like just have five or six or however competitors go fastest around the rink and tell me who's the fastest. Like, like, it, because I actually think those events work sometimes the more gimmicky ones, like you're like, what is the rules here? What is it? Like, it's pretty clear when you watch someone skate around that you're just trying to see who's fastest or, or even the hardest shot pretty obvious what you're measuring and and you know i think that those have historically been some cool events because you know when you see zidane ochara take a slap shot in the hardest shot like you want to see what the number is like it's cool right absolutely yeah i think the simpler the better for these events also in terms of players caring it's kind of funny i got the sense maybe Connor mcdavid cared at least in in the conversation you had with kevin biexa before it started where he was saying you know what let some of the other younger guys do some of the events like like fastest skater and he does the accuracy competition and that works out well like it would have been cool if 
Connor was in the breakaway competition, right? And maybe he doesn't do all the fancy costume stuff, but he goes in on a loan and makes this sick move. That's what that particular competition should be like. That should be the NHL's equivalent. And I'm not saying it's anywhere close. It should be the equivalent of the slam dunk competition in the NBA, where everyone comes away from that, where people are, the players are doing something really cool that we should be talking about for a long time. But just for whatever reason this year, they kind of mangled it in how they showed each player after every few minutes. And they focused more on the costumes, minus Sydney and Ovechkin and Sergei Ovechkin, which was cute, mind you. But they focused on that more than than actually trying to do something cool uh, in terms of an actual like cool like goal. Right. And I feel like well, if, how is Trevor Zegers not here again? Did you did you see the tweet he put up? Yeah, I mean that's fine, but like he he literally scored like that's that breakaway he scored in last year's All Star game was crazy. Yes, with the blindfold and everything, and like the fact he I, he should have won. That was other thing he didn't win last year somehow, uh, yeah. which is its own. I guess maybe that's why they don't have him back. But it's like he flew in just to do that one move, and he and it worked. Like to me, you got to bring him back and see what else he can do. Like clearly, he's he's got a bag of tricks that very few players have in terms of just like some of those crazy individual moves. Seriously, it doesn't make sense to me. For context, for those who didn't see, as the event was going on, Trevor Zegers just put up a yawning emoji, a sleeping emoji. It was like that's that just tells you all you need to know about how that went. The highlight of that, honestly, was Sarah Nurse's Forsberg goal. She deserves a lot of praise for that. That was an amazing moment. Awesome. I mean, this is what I mean. The, the there's there's something in there. Like, I don't think it, I'm not in the everything needs to be scrapped and let's just forget it. You know, I got the, the that morning, Julian, of the game. Like, the league puts out a daily media email, and then it said the 67th ever all-star game like that kind of hit me because I, I wouldn't have known that number but like it's been done for a long long time I know it's been done in all a million different formats like there's no real historical precedent but I think the fact you have an event that's been held 67 times in a league's history like I think you do continue on with it you just got to try to really accentuate the good and weed out the bad and I don't know the thing is players want to go now like the story I, I remember early in my career, always the story you get there is like all these stars who don't want to be there. Like that, that was not the case. Obviously, a few players had to pull out, but it, it's all legitimate injuries in those cases. You know, even Ross with Stalin, like it's added, like his, his teammate Tate Thompson gets injured the night before and then he flies on a moment's notice to go. Like, I think the players want to be there. Uh, we just have to give them some carrot to, to really make it cool. But, you know, work in progress. Last thing before we bring on David Bastel, Toronto, next year, 2024, you mentioned the fact that maybe they do need to go back to the drawing board for some things. Is there any added pressure for the league for them to have a great weekend considering the location of the All-Star game? Does that matter in all of this? I, I haven't thought about it, but I think it's fair like to, to say that. You know, one thing that's interesting about Toronto is, you know, there's they have huge fan base interest, right? Like they have a massive season ticket list. Uh, I'm sure whatever the, the cost is, it's going to be high. And so I think that there is there's pressure to put on a good show. Um, because the one thing I'll say, too, being in the arena, especially for the skills, when they had all those taped events, you know, like I actually kind of found the golf thing pretty funny when, the, you know, the players are, were out golfing with their, their gloves on and all that. Um, and of course they had the dunk tank and some other events, but those, you know, when you're in the rink, you're just watching it on TV. Right. Uh, cause those were pre-taped. And so like, I feel like for some of the people that were in the building, it might not have been the best experience that way. Like you're just sitting there watching the scoreboard. I don't know. It's, um, so yeah, I think, I think there's some pressure there and, and, you know, the other thing too, it depends on the market. Like there wasn't a lot of juice in the building. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel but, you know, we'll see what the crowd is like in Toronto. Maybe, maybe there'll be a little bit more energy atmosphere, which might spur on the performers. I, I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, there's 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 definitely some pressure there. And really, the only reason it's going to Toronto or the main reason is, you know, this was supposed to be when there, a World Cup was held, that, you know, a window in February 2024. If you remember, it was only late 2022 they had to abandon plans, um, you know, to, to go there. So we're talking like three months ago or two and a half months ago. And so, you know, typically these events take years of planning out. Like I've been told they actually have the cities identified 
for 2025 and 2026. They haven't signed all the agreements. Obviously, they haven't made any announcements, but the NHL knows where it's going already for the next two way beyond 2024, but they needed a place on a moment's notice that has, you know, the, the hotel space that, that can be grabbed, you know, convention center space for the events they have there. And, you know, where they're confident, I think that it will work, that there'll be fans and all that without a lot of advanced marketing. So Toronto actually entered the equation quite late and it was only, it was only November. They're like, Oh crap. We're not having a World Cup in 2024. Now we got an All-Star game that, that hasn't been on the horizon. So, um, you know, this is a, this one's being, again, it doesn't seem like it's short notice because it's still a year and a little bit of time from when they started doing it. But, uh, you know, I think that there is there is some pressure to get it right, given the market. Get, there'll be more media attention in Canada anyway. I mean, because most of us won't have to fly anywhere. I'm going to sleep in my own bed those nights. Jeez. Um, which, which will be a little different. I wasn't I wasn't around as a working member of the media yet in 2000 when the game was last in Toronto. I was six years old. (laughs) (laughs) I was in high school. Oh boy. Ah, The time, if you could tell us uh, in 2000, what we'd be doing in 2023, I'm not sure we'd be able to tell you what a podcast was. No, but I, I still, I was hell bent on being a hockey writer by then. So yeah. I think I knew by then, by six, that I wanted to do something with sports writing. So, yeah, we were both well on our way. Well, both well on our way in the year of our Lord 2000. Anyway, uh, let's get on DB, and we will talk about uh, a very big talking point that emerged from this weekend's NHL All-Star Weekend. You can bet that with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to Sports Interactions. You can bet that with uh, Sports Interactions. Very own David Bastel. Hope you had a good weekend, buddy. Pretty good, guys. How are things over there? Things are good. Uh, this is another one of those episodes where CJ and I are in different cities than where we normally reside. Uh, so that's why you can tell the backgrounds are a little bit different. But uh, remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, as of right now, we're recording this on Monday morning uh, for February 6th, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are in a playoff position as we speak. But the Winnipeg Jets, your Winnipeg Jets, Stephen Bastel, are in a playoff position as we speak. And Edmonton holds down a wildcard spot and Calgary's tied with Colorado on points for the second wildcard spot. So you could say four teams, four Canadian teams are in a playoff position right now. Uh, Sports Interaction, uh, is asking the question how many Canadian teams make the playoffs over three and a half uh, is at 1.77 under three and a half 1.93 DB how do you see it you know what that's the debate right we're looking at four teams unfortunately I don't think we're going to take any flyers on Ottawa Montreal or, or the Vancouver Canucks it hasn't been uh, you know point productive seasons let's just say so I don't know about you, CJ, but I, I, I'd i love to see both Alberta teams in this uh, postseason and see what happens. I know uh, by most people's standards, Calgary probably hasn't performed like a lot of people thought they would. Um, I think they would probably be in a conversation of should have been head of Seattle, but no no disrespect to the Kraken. They've had a very good season and sitting nicely in the Pacific. But uh, I think we're going to see four teams uh, somehow in this in this uh, postseason. But you know what? That's why we debate about it, right? We we have three, post, possibly four. And I don't know. what. Uh, how are you looking at it right now yourself? It's a nail-biter. I mean, I'm, I'm stunned we're this deep in and, and... – you know, both Calgary and Edmonton really haven't secured their spot. I know Edmonton had a really strong run into the all-star break. So they, they put a little distance in, in between themselves and, and that, but um, I think it'll go right down to the wire and I'm with you. It's, it's, it's uh, nice to see four Canadian teams in there. I love seeing Edmonton and Calgary play each other last year in the playoffs. Um, you know, I'd probably lean towards four, quite honestly. I wonder if LA can hang on with the goaltending they have. I, I just think it's going to be a close race and uh, you know, I don't see either team, you know, selling parts or anything like that. I think they're they're all in the this is this is a season both have to get in. So I think they're gonna find a way. Should mention uh, Calgary again as we're recording this, six points out 
of top spot in the Pacific, which, as you mentioned, L.A., Seattle and L.A. tied at 63 points. Vegas only a point behind. It is very tight in the Pacific <laughs> Division, gentlemen. So, I mean, it, we could easily see those four teams make it, considering Winnipeg's in a good spot. The Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously, in a good spot. But, uh, yeah, the Oilers and the Flames look like the two Canadian teams that will be uh, fighting like hell to make the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing them jump over each other uh, for the next 30-odd games or so. DB, thank you so much for joining us. As always, uh, don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in-game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. See you Thursday. Thanks, fellas. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, immune system to be better, support as well for that. It, I just can't stand taking all these different pills and vitamins all the time. And I wanted something that actually tastes pretty good. And AG1 has all of that. In the morning, I could take it before I, I, I eat breakfast. Some people have to take it before they work out, making coffee. You literally could just start your day off with AG1, and it can help you feel unstoppable, ready to take on your day, ready to go out, ready just to do something good for your body because you can't just keep putting crap in it all the time. It's not good. It needs vitamins and nutrients to survive. Seriously, seriously. And and thanks to AG1, uh, they're able to provide a whole bunch of different high-quality ingredients. In fact, 75 of them, actually, uh, that give you uh, long-term gut health support. A whole bunch of different nutrients that can help you get to that point. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Johnston, athleticgreens.com slash Johnston to get yourself a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Check it out. I should mention, Siege, before we get to all the fun hockey stuff, we have uh, the fourth and final $100 gift card from beer town to give away the question we asked was uh which fast food restaurant did cj work at once upon a time and uh siege last episode you said it was going to be uh, a bit difficult for plenty of people uh to get the answer i don't think the answer was as difficult as you thought it would be do you know what is so weird uh or so <laughs> just not weird this is like one of the most surreal moments of the entire weekend is if you remember, I mentioned when I was at the board of governors meeting that a minority owner of one of the teams came up and said, he likes the pod. Well, I happened to run into the same individual again uh, at the arena um, before the, the three on three tournament on Saturday. And he comes up to me and goes, the answer is, the answer is Wendy's, right? No way. (laughs) Yeah. So there's someone who has an ownership stake in an NHL team that not only listens to our show, but is engaged and remembered enough about the contest and knew the answer somehow. So oh. again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dox the person, but if you're listening, I I'm blown away. Like that, like that sort of stuff makes my day. He also mentioned, I should say too, he goes, crazy yeah. week, huh? Brad Marchand and Steve Dangle going at it on oh Twitter. My God. So, you know, like sometimes you feel like you're operating in our own little vacuum, or you know, obviously I know we have our SDPN community. Lots of people that are super engaged, super involved, you know, submit questions, you know, come out to the live events, all that stuff. But like, you just don't expect someone to, who has amassed more wealth than, than we can ever imagine and, and owns part of a sports team and all that is, is involved in our, in our world too. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I'm not going to mention that name either, but when I was told of their qualifications, my mind com- was completely blown. Unfortunately to that person, uh, they did not tweet at my Twitter handle or Chris's Twitter handle or the SDPN sports Twitter handle that answer. Uh, so they are not eligible for this contest. Uh, but Aaron Manton uh, did, and he wrote CJ worked at and was named employee of the month at Wendy's and he is the winner of our fourth and final $100 gift card uh, from Beer Town. Uh, we're going to try to make sure that we get uh, gift cards out to all of our winners. Thank you to everyone who participated in the giveaway in the contest. Uh, thank you for everyone who tweeted at us and uh, tried their hand at uh, winning one of them bad boys. So uh, we really appreciate it. This was really great to do. 
Yeah, remember, white, red, green, Julian. Mayonnaise, ketchup, pickles, <laughs> onion, tomato, lettuce. And then you finish with the mustard. And, and I, didn't, I didn't put this in last week because it would have ruined the answer. But you do a mustard W on the burger or on, on the cheese patty, if it's on the cheese, if it's on the burger. If you, if you do that, you, got, you can make sandwiches there. Do they do the four-corner press when you do the grill? Because, you know, Wendy's doesn't cut corners. They got the four-corner press. No, sir. I'm telling you. I could still go back if I had to. Like, if you could, th- I guarantee you, you could throw me on a shift right now and I could hold my own without any training. The problem is, they probably have some new burgers that I don't know exactly how to make. But wow, anyway. that is amazing. Chris Johnston, the fry cook. I love this. Uh, and I also love everyone pretty- competed. Did I ever tell you the drive through story? No. Tell me the drive through story. So, I, a lot of my shifts for a period of time, I worked there for years, so I did everything over my time there. But I, I was I was doing a lot of drive-through at one period. And when you do the drive-through there, you have to do the dishes at the same time. So, and there's more dishes than you think. So you got to stay on top of the dishes on the drive-through. But anyway, they installed a clock. They installed a clock at one point at, at, for the drive-through. And basically, the minute someone's car, you know, pulls up to the the order part, and then when they leave, it was it would time, you know, how how long it took people to go through. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I was a we were degenerate high school students and we had like, you know, like a dolly, like a metal dolly to like lift heavy things. We discovered that if you, if you walk the metal dolly through the drive-through, it actually registered like a car went through. (laughs) And so late at night, because they were, you know, there's a lot of pressure on whatever the number, I don't remember what a good time was, but, but there was like time thresholds that they were measuring us on. And so then we realized that you could just run through the drive-through with the dolly and like bring down the average because all of a sudden oh. you'd have like you know there'd be a few 12 second trips instead of a minute and a half oh. and oh. We, we started doing that enough that at one point in time our wendy's had the best drive-through times in all of canada what? and <laughs> the problem with that was i think they were like oh wow what is this one Wendy's doing <laughs> and, and like one of the managers like looked through the log or whatever and found out that we were just greasing it at the end of the night, just all oh these 10 my. second trips. Oh my God. So we got, we got we, it was good for a time because we were bringing our average down, everyone was happy. And then we got too good and we got busted. So that's, that's a real story. I don't think I was the ringleader behind it, but I was definitely, I was definitely involved. Dog. <laughs> sorry. 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 That was y'all, y'all, y'all dumbass kids. <laughs> Oh, we were so dumb. So dumb. Oh, but the thing was that we actually weren't trying to show off. We were trying, like, our motivation was not to get in trouble, right? No, our motivation no. was just trying to bring the average down so that they weren't like, why is this drive through so crappy? Yeah. And then we got too, we got too good and we, we got on the radar for the wrong reasons. <laughs> how, dude, how was it letting them know that, like, oh, yeah, we like ran through this metal thing and that's what brought the average down? <laughs> well, that's what I. I told you earlier, like I got written up once reading a candy cane while at work. Oh, so like, my point is like that in the context of the moment, that was all normal stuff to like get in trouble for. Like, it, like they were half babysitting us, half employing us, right? Essentially. I mean, it was mostly because I worked nights because I was going to school during the days. Yeah. During the days, there was, a, there was more adults that worked there. But like at night, it was basically all of us high school students, you know, <laughs> doing all that crap anyway. <laughs> Oh, uh, I feel like I feel like you would do something bad, and then like your boss would just kind of look around and just be like, "Oh, crazy CJ." <laughs> well, again, it wasn't just me. There, there was that was that was a systemic thing that 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 rooted up in the Coburg Wendy's back in like 1999 or whatever year that would have been. Still, anyway, thank you for that story. That was really great. It's time to talk about the NHL playoff <laughs> format. <laughs> I don't know. I just remembered it right now. It just like crossed my mind. Yeah, right. We have to talk about that stuff. Um, okay, the biggest headline from that uh, during the during the many media availabilities uh, during the All Star Weekend, Sidney uh, Crosby was asked about the current playoff format in place, uh, and he let us know that he doesn't like it, and he feels that going to a one through eight playoff format would reward teams better. Uh, Mikey Stevens was the one who kind of tweeted that out first. I'm sure it was a scrum, but Mikey Stevens got that out, so I will give him the uh, stick tack for that. Uh, and of course. Naturally, discussion ensues after Sidney Crosby, one of the faces of our game, one of the best players of our generation, says something. Like, that's one of those things you should take notice of. And Gordon Miller went on Twitter, and he mentioned that uh, the 1-8 to format works 
with how the current scheduling is done and which teams play uh, to other teams from the other conference at least twice, teams in their own conference three or four times, teams in their own division three times. But if we get to a point where we might have to change that format, or or at least if there's a proposal in place to uh, change the uh, the number of games, adding two more, and maybe changing the schedule, how does that work with the playoff format? There's a lot to get to with this, but where do you stand? Yeah, but let's cut through it. it. There's a lot, but it's simple. The players yeah. don't like it. The guys that are playing the game are actually speaking out about it. It wasn't just Sidney Crosby. Nathan mm-hmm. McKinnon, without being asked specifically about the Atlantic Division, said the Toronto-Tampa thing is silly. Wow. That like, And he wasn't asked, like, hey, do you think this – how does this affect the Leafs, Nathan? Like, he was like, it doesn't make sense. You could be the second-best team in your conference and play the third-best team in your conference in round one. He actually referenced St. Louis and Minnesota from last year as well, that there was – one of those type of discrepancies there. Um, and a, a number of other players that, that don't have the name or star power of Crosby and McKinnon also said that they'd like to see one to eight again, and they don't like the divisional format. I think, you know, it's funny. It's one of these things where the league doesn't see an issue. Uh, I think a lot of people watching the league see an issue. Obviously the players that are playing the game see an issue. I, I actually think that this could be the start of where a change happens, honestly. Um, you know, I, I asked Gary Bettman and Bill Daly about it uh, when they were available on Saturday. And, and, you know, one of the things Bill Daly said, like, this isn't a burning issue. He said, when we pulled general managers two years ago, two thirds of them said they liked the divisional playoff format. Um, but it becomes a burning issue when someone like Sidney Crosby, you know, and he didn't take a hard stand. He just said, I don't think it's the most fair way to do it. Um, you know, it's all tied together, though. And that's sort of, I think, Gord Miller's broader point. I read through his like 28 page twitter screed there but like essentially if you're changing the playoff format you have to be mindful of what you know that you have some sort of fair and balanced schedule that makes sense you want to make sure you are measuring the right things um when, when you do that and that, that it's each team is somewhat fair but it just it doesn't feel right how often every single year in round one or round two you have like two of the absolute best teams in the league playing like it's I guess it's exciting because those individual series tend to be pretty good, but you know, why have teams play 82 games? Like there's a certain amount of inertia in the system now, right? Like it, you know, you look at the Atlantic as the current best example of it, but it's just, it's hard to imagine any scenario where it's not either Boston, Toronto, Tampa or Boston, Tampa, Toronto in terms of the one, two, three in that division. And, and what that means for the playoff matchup, of course, Boston's going to play a wildcard team likely as, as the division champion, but the two, three is already locked in. Um, I don't, I just don't think it's that interesting. I mean, the, again, the series, Toronto Tampa might play a great series, but that's, that's not really what's at issue here. I think it's whether it's fair, there's, there's less reason for those teams to, to put the pedal down either. Like they're just kind of stuck with each other. The only thing they're wrestling for is which team plays game one at home and, and a potential game seven at home. That's, that's about the only thing at, at, at issue right now. So, you know, I don't know where it goes next. I think obviously the general managers meeting will be in March that's that's the place where rule changes happen. Um, you know, Gary Bettman mentioned the competition committee. We'll discuss this too. So maybe we, we just start to see if the public comments change, if some of the sentiment behind the scenes changes. But, you know, I, I can't imagine the league wants players, especially players like Sidney Crosby or Nathan McKinnon, openly questioning the, the playoff format. I mean, I, maybe they'll stick to their guns. I don't know. It seems to me like this is the, this is the start – does, change doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but this might be. We might look back at this as like, okay, <laughs> enough is enough. We, we've got to, we've got to shift this. Yeah, that's how I see it. It's one thing if a lesser known player says something, but when you have Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon, two of the best players in the National Hockey League, saying something about this, like if the NHL sticks to its guns, then like, wow, the players really don't have a voice or a say in how things are run. That would be really disappointing. Well, and Gary Bettman said he values their opinion. Like, let, let's see, right? I mean, as I say, I, I don't – what is what is interesting, too, I don't know if you saw this, too, in The Athletic, your colleagues there did kind of an unofficial poll of players, and very few were – but very few players were in favor of a play-in because we have talked about that as a potential change to the, to the playoff format. So, you know, if that's the case – because, you know, I've, I've thought the play-in made sense if only because it's something exciting to sell – it's dramatic. It's, it's a new TV property, so to speak, built into the calendar. Like I, I I'm looking at it from that uh, way, but so maybe the, the, the solution is just going back to what we had, you know, not so long ago, 10 years ago, one to eight was how it was done in each conference. I mean, maybe that's what happens, but I, I do think this could be a turning point 
early turning point kind of moment. Like, I appreciate what Bill Daly is saying. This isn't a burning issue, meaning I think at the league level, they're not discussing this every day. They're not debating this, but maybe they're, they're going to be forced into that discussion or debate, you know, by, by the players putting their voice to, to this opinion. Yep. Let's wait and see about how that will go. I want to get to another story uh, that broke out yesterday. And uh, we wanted to originally do a trading pile segment, but we realized there's some teams that are kind of doing some things with their cap space, whether it's signing players or putting players on LTIR and, Maybe, maybe less so in the case of the Islanders. But if you look at what the Carolina Hurricanes are looking like in the Vegas Golden Knights, maybe that puts them in a position where they can get some players who have been on our trading piles. So we're going to kind of condense the the trading pile and the segment that I wanted to do called Cap Space and kind of do some kind of weird, weird mashup of the two. But let's start off with the New York Islanders first because Bo Horvat gets traded. Uh, plays uh, for the Pacific Division while wearing uh, the Islanders patches and still gets to do his moment with Elias Pettersson, but he signs an eight-year deal worth $8.5 million over the weekend. What are your impressions of the deal, Bo Horvat, and his weekend? So the hockey world stopped and nothing else happened except that Bo Horvat's life got turned upside down, right? I mean, did anyone have a more surreal week than him? He's on vacation with his family at Disney World or in Florida, Gets traded, you know, Monday from Vancouver to the Islanders. Goes to the All-Star game. Pulls on an Islanders sweater with a new number, number 14, for the first time in participation in the skills competition. Has his goodbye moment, so to speak, with Elias Pettersson, his, his longtime teammate with the Canucks. And then signs a massive extension before ever making his NHL debut with the Islanders. That happens Monday night in Philadelphia. So what a strange week. I think it's a great week for Bo Horvat. At the end of the day, his contract is a screaming home run uh, for him personally and his family, I believe. I mean, eight and a half million times eight. Vancouver wasn't willing to go anywhere near those kind of numbers when they talked last summer and again in December about uh, what a new deal might look like. You know, obviously, Bo Horvat is sacrificing the, the opportunity and ability to go to free agency on July 1st. But you have to remember, if he went to July 1st, he could only sign a seven-year deal. And to get $68 million on a seven-year deal, you got to get pretty close to 10 million a year, slightly under, hair under, right? Nine point something, something. I don't think that would have been out there for him, even as great as the season he's having. And so he has maximized his earning power um, with this. He bet on himself too, right? I mean, it was not an easy year for him to, to, to not extend with the Canucks last summer. He sees his, his teammate at the time, JT Miller extended um, just prior to training camp. He's subject to all these trade rumors and everything going on. But he bet on himself. He's having a, a massive season with 31 goals already uh, heading into the sort of unofficial second half here out of the All-Star break. And, and now he's got security. So, um, you know, he really had the Islanders. I think he had a lot of leverage in this negotiation because Lou, Lou Amarello makes that trade. He, he gives up a first-round pick and, and a decent prospect and Natu Ratu plus a player in, in Anthony Beauvillier. But he says to Bo Horvat when that trade happens, like, this is not a rental in my mind. Well, I mean, Lou, Lou hands over some leverage when he says that to him too, right? I mean, I, I think it's, he, you know, it's, it's a good spot to be in, put it that way, if, if you're a Horvat, because you know that they really want to sign you and that they gave up, they feel like they gave up a lot, especially if you're only a rental. And so he gets a good contract out of it, no signing bonuses, but 68 million bucks, man. That's, uh, that, that's a nice way to cap a crazy week. It's too long and it's too much money. That easily, that sentence could be something I might say. If you had an opinion on the contract, you might say that. If we were to listen to the Steve Dangle podcast, maybe one of those three guys on that show would say that line. It's too long and it's too much money is a quote that can be attributed to Lou Lamorello himself. Hours after finishing negotiations with Pat Morris, right? I mean, oh, what? Well, it's honest and he's probably right. And I don't say that as a slight on Bo Horvat, right? You're only worth what the market says you're worth. Right. And you know, Bo, Hor Bo Horvat was in a really great spot. I mean, he, first of all, he's having a career season. He gets traded. And so the Islanders have given up, you know, a fair amount in their, in their view. Like they feel like they need to maximize their window with him. And if you're Horvat, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Right. He didn't even have to negotiate. He could say, yeah, I'll come to Long Island. I'll, I'll play it this season, but then we'll see where we're at. And so there was a lot of pressure on the Islanders. 
And I think anytime you're signing an eight-year deal with a player that's 27, that is, it is too long. There's, a, there's, that doesn't mean Horvat can't perform up to the level of this contract. Like it is possible, but eight years in pro sports when you're already multiple years into a career is, is a lifetime, right? I mean, injuries and all kinds of things can happen. Um, you know, and Bull Horvat has been a 60 point player, give or take throughout his career. I mean, this year he's popping big. He's already had 54 points. So he's going to be probably 70 plus point player this season, you know, and that's, that might be modest. Maybe it ends up even higher than that. But the point is, is that they're making a, a fairly big bet um, on someone who's having the best season of his life uh, by production anyway. And yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's every opportunity three years down the road, we're looking back and it's going like, Oh, wow. You know, that that's, that's a tough deal. But you know, the flip side of that, of course, is if, if the cap rises a lot and, you know, eight and a half million might not look like so much so that there's, that's the gamble both sides take. Uh, you can understand as a player why you want that security, because that's, that's, that's a pretty nice guarantee for you more or less. Obviously there, there can be buyouts and things like that, but, but for the most part, this is a great deal for the player and the team didn't feel great about it, but they, they, they did what they felt they had to do. Right. I mean, that's, that's all it is. Yeah. I can't imagine how Lou Lamorello is going to feel on this Monday where there's nothing to talk about in New York sports media and everyone's going to talk about that deal. There's nothing that happened immediately after that trade that would take attention away from Bo Horvat signing. There's absolutely what, nothing. Wasn't it like minutes after the that deal went down? Minutes after. Legit <laughs> minutes after Kyrie Irving gets traded to Dallas. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll tell you this much. I would love to one time be in a situation where the person that signs me to a deal says it's too long and it's too much money. I, I would love to be on the the other side of that negotiation. Like, like he's because I I was anticipating you might ask me about that. Like, how's Bull Horvath gonna feel about hearing that? It's like, well, that you feel great. You feel like your agent did his job. You feel like you've maximized your earning window and what you could do. I mean, I, I'd love someone to say that we've signed CJ for too long and too much money. Well, it's probably going to be Adam Wilde at this point. And you'll be worth that. Every, you're every you're worth every penny for what it's worth. So I, I'd love that. I'd love that. Of course. Um, speaking of money, uh, the trading pile slash teams possibly working in LTIR. Let's deal with one that absolutely is in the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, and the fact that uh, they they have Max Pratchetti on LTIR. Uh, I checked on Cap Friendly last night. And it looks like for the deadline, they have a stupid amount of cap space, over $10 million. Uh, I know, I think once we talked about the Canes, I kind of did the little like cough thing and said Timo Meyer. But is there another player you might envision seeing uh, on that team? I mean, uh, either Meyer or somebody else? Well, I, I almost wish we had like a ditty, like, like a little intro would be like cap space. <laughs> because I feel like, because I feel like cap space is like a central character in this trade deadline, right? Because so many of the teams that have ambition that want to be aggressive don't really have much cap space. And so it gets repetitive because we focus on that. Well, now we get to focus on a couple teams that, that have some significant cap space. And, and you know, Carolina is already in a good spot vis-a-vis -vis the cap. Um, you know, they weren't completely at the ceiling this season. But, you know, with, with Max Pacioretty you know, being done for the year after having a second Achilles surgery, they, they can kind of do anything, you know, within reason um, they can, they can fit in anyone. So yeah, Timu Meyer, they definitely like, I'm not sure though that they're, they're not that sort of team. Like I don't see them giving up the assets it takes if he's not signing some kind of extension. Like I, I don't see them going all in there. You know, they're, they're in a good spot. First of all, they're a smart team, a smart front office. Um, I think they'll be, they'll be cagey about it, but both them and now Vegas, like, let's lump them together yep. because it does, you know, there's no timetable provided by the Golden Knights on Mark Stone following, you know, back surgery, um, which was announced over All-Star Weekend. But I think it's reasonable to think that, that his regular season at minimum is done. You know, all of a sudden, that's how the team that has cap space. And, you know, where maybe we draw a line between the Golden Knights and the Hurricanes, the Golden Knights, they love hitting home runs, right? Like, they they, they, they like 
you know, the 12, like the bold headline moves, whether it's the biggest free agent, some of the biggest trades, they were in on Carlson. They didn't get him. They traded for Mark Stone, you know, patch ready move, the Petrangelo signing as a free agent. Like they go for the big ones. So, you know, are they going to try to talk about Patrick Kane or, you know, I, I don't know where they, they specifically go, but certainly I would expect that they're going to add a forward. I would have said that even with a healthy Mark Stone, that would, that would have been uh, part of their ambition. You know, same with Carolina, frankly. I think that, that it's pretty clear that they can use help with a score, you know, a player that can help them put the puck in the net. And so now all of a sudden we have two teams that have, that I would put in the buyer's pile that actually have the thing that, that a lot of the other contenders don't, don't have too much of. I mean, there, there's some exceptions. You know, there are, you know, Winnipeg, for example, is a team that's really well positioned for the cap. The Jets could get aggressive. That's not really been in their nature, but they, they have the ability to, you know, because there's like all this talk about Boston these days, Julian. Yeah. Boston just doesn't have the, the, the moves. Like we know Don Sweeney every year is, is making big moves himself. We can see that they're on this historic run. Like I can understand why, you know, people want to connect them. Like I think they were in to some degree on Bor Horvat. They're certainly interested in him. But I just don't know how the math could have ever really worked on that deal in an easy manner. Ultimately, of course, he ends up on Long Island. But, um, you know, we have what? A few marquee forwards. You know, got Timu Meyer, Ryan O'Reilly, Patrick Kane, mm-hmm. Vladimir Tarasenko, mm-hmm. maybe Jonathan Taves. You know, who's going to step up and really make a play for these guys? I mean, that, that, that will be interesting to me. Because it, there's a drop-off after that, right? I mean, the other players that are on the market, you know, at, we'll just stick to forward for this, the purpose of this because Carolina and Vegas are two of those teams. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it starts to fall off, right? I mean, it, with respect, the other names, it's like Sam Lafferty, you know, at this point, Sean Monaghan, but he hasn't played a game in two months and we don't really know what's going on there with his injury. Uh, you know, guys like Max Domi, uh, you know, I guess maybe... Now, you know, Jesse Pugliarby, I'm just, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, you know, with a, with a big cap hit, and but maybe towards the end of his career where it's tougher for him to perform to that cap. Like, it, Hold there, that there's def- Van Riemsdyk. I'll right, ask him but there's that. definitely, fair, but there's definitely a, a drop-off, right? I mean, there, there's a few players that you could see, like Tarasenko has just done nothing but score his whole career, and he's a big man, you know, can play in the playoffs, you know, can help your power play, like, Teams looking for goals have to look at him. He's got a no trade clause too, so he's got control there. I actually spoke with him a little bit, asked him a few questions uh, during the All Star Media Day, and he kind of acknowledged like he feels like his time. He's you know 700 games in with the Blues, 700 plus games, and he feels like it's sort of potentially winding down here. He said there's a lot going on, like you know, there's there's a few impact difference type makers, and and um, you know only only so many places where they could go, so. You know, it's those are two big developments. I think, I mean, Pat Reddy, we obviously knew from unfortunately pretty much from the day it happened that his season was done. But the fact he's formally been placed in LTI opens up that room in Carolina. And now this Mark Stone development in the last few days puts Vegas in a different degree of trade conversations than they could have been if he was healthy. Absolutely. Um, James Van Riebsteck, I want to focus on because I, I noticed his name kick around a lot in the last few days. Um, I'm a bit, I'm interested, I'm intrigued by, by his name, particularly because of the fact that he's been linked to, uh, the market I am currently based in, in, in Calgary. And I wasn't sure if he would be a player that the Flames would be interested in, but he is also a player who is able to get in front of the net, which they need. He's arguably been one of the best net front tippers pretty much over the last like 10, 15 years. Uh, but you know, he has that massive cap hit. And, uh, I mean, he, uh, there's a notable former teammate of his who plays on the Calgary flames as well. Nazem Kadri. Uh, how do you, what do you feel about that dossier? I just don't know if he's going to be traded. I think he's at the mm. stage of his career. He'd like to be traded. You know, it's, we know Philadelphia is not going anywhere. He's, he's into his thirties. He only gets so many chances to win, to lift the mug. Um, so I think that, this, this is a move he'd like to see happen. I think Philadelphia would retain some cap space in a deal. What's interesting is his actual money owing on his contract is, is actually quite low. It was a front-loaded contract, the structure. So it's not a case of dollar, like, you know, actual dollars. It's just the cap room is, is a challenge. It's a $7 million cap hit. So I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, 
Um, but I, I have it at say like 60, 40 likelihood he's moved, maybe a little higher, 70, 30. I mean, Jay Zen Reams likes an absolute pro looks after himself. You know, some of, if he's look at John Tortorella's comments this year, he's talked extensively about the mentorship role that, that Ben Reams likes filled with his younger teammates. Like, you know, I don't think you'll find anyone saying a bad word about him. And he's actually been reasonably productive. He, he missed time in December with a hand injury, uh, but he's returned and on a Flyers team that isn't that great. He's putting up fair numbers. So I think he can help someone. And I, and I do think let's fast forward to July 1st. Absolutely. He's going to have interest July 1st when he's signing for a more bargain type of deal, because I think he's a veteran that can help a team. It just, just be interesting to see how everything shakes out here. At the deadline, I, I, I like the fit with Calgary. I mean, look, they're looking for, as you know, someone to help out their forward group. Um, definitely someone who can help contribute at the power play, just sick hands around the net. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll have to see how that plays out because maybe more teams end up with the da 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 um, so let's, let's watch how that one develops. I, I, I'll tell you this, it's not hundred percent of my mind. He's dealt, uh, just because of the, the stupid hard cap league at times. Like there's just in another world, of course he's dealt, but it's just, you know, if, if you're getting him, there's opportunity costs. It means you can't get somebody else. I love the fact that, uh, cap space is a thing now. I don't mean, you got to keep it interesting, bud. Well, of course, uh, speaking of keeping, you know, we didn't talk about. What, would, what did we not talk about? Uh, Gustav Nyquist. And yeah. what's interesting about him is he suffered a shoulder injury. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets player, expiring contract. You know, he's been on CJ's trade deadline big board. And he gets suffers with a shoulder injury. Doesn't need surgery, but it, he suffered the injury 11 weeks from the end of the regular season. I think he's been given sort of a 10 to 12 week window. And you say, oh, that's that's... Oh, that's terrible. I mean, he's not maybe not going to be able to play the rest of the regular season. They're not going to be able to trade him. But ironically, I think it makes him more tradable because of all the teams that don't have enough of then and then and a number of them are in LTI already. There's an opportunity potentially to to trade for Nyquist, put him on LTI, and stash him there till the playoffs and not negatively impact your cap position. And there's a whole bunch of teams that are, that are good, that, that could at least look at doing that teams like Toronto and Colorado and Boston. Um, I think Washington, anyway, there's, there's a few teams where this, this could make sense. And so as we get closer to March 3rd, and I think there's a clear timeline on Nyquist, um, that's something to keep an eye out for because, you know, a team like the Leafs, as an example, could trade for Nyquist, as an example. Yes, I'm not saying they're going to, but as an example, they could trade for Nyquist, put Austin Matthews on LTI because Austin's out with right now with a knee sprain. And when and then you know stash Nyquist on use the space to put Nyquist on LTI there with him. When Austin's healthy to return because he's not done for the regular season, you you, you activate him and the Leafs are in no worse or no different of a cap position they would have been anyway. And so obviously there's a potential acquisition cost there. There's some risk because you're you're acquiring a player who's you you can't activate until the start of the playoffs, meaning he doesn't get to play with your team at all. Who knows how that's going to fit? But it's at least something to consider and to look out for. It's, it's, it's I wouldn't call it a loophole, but it's just kind of something interesting that's that's come up. It actually happened <clears throat> a couple of years ago with Riley Nash, uh, ironically from Columbus, was traded to Toronto. He didn't end up playing a lot in that playoffs. It, you know, I can't say it worked out, but it's something that that has been done in the past and. You know, I do know for sure Nyquist really wants to be traded to a contender. Like, again, he's in a similar spot to James Van Reems. Like, he just wants a chance to win a cup, play on a good team, be part of a playoff run. He wants to get healthy. Like, it's not like he's viewing he's, – he's working to get back because he thinks he's going to play another game or more this season. And so, you know, maybe we see him traded somewhere and put on LTI and activated for the start of the playoffs. Pretty, pretty interesting kind of scenario. Very interesting scenario. And, uh, yeah, I should have added Gustav Nyquist to my rundown. But I'm actually glad we got to that. All these different scenarios in that. What if you like Adam and you stash him and it brings up the the LTIR number? And couldn't that, in theory, if you were a team that were able to afford getting him in the first place and you put him on LTIR, put you in a position to get somebody else maybe? Or am I thinking? Yes. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly it. So like, again, I'll use the least situation. They, they could acquire him, 
put him on LTII and still make another move. Yep. Uh, and I'm not, and I should be clear, I, I don't have any firm knowledge that the Leafs have doing are going to do this. It's just, it's, it's easy to use that hypothetical scenario that that's all of a sudden emerged. And if, so in a world where Nyquist was just healthy and didn't suffer the shoulder injury, I, I, I would say he's a tougher, he's sort of in the Van Reams I can't. He makes five and a half million. You know, he, a team may or may not trade for that. You know, like, I think there's a lot to like in the player, but, you know, there's other cheaper players out there. You know, there's Max Domi, for example, potentially being moved by Chicago at half the price. So, and he's younger, like, you know, like a team that's acquiring someone might look differently at it. But I think now that he's injured uh, and, and may not be back until, you know, really when the playoffs are starting, that could actually work in his favor in terms of landing on a contender. Okay. Think you know what way it's going to go? Make your bet at Sports Interaction, whether it's hockey, basketball, or one of the biggest days in sports, Super Bowl 57. Get the action at Sports Interaction. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com SDPN or in Ontario, download the app using the QR code on your screen. 19 and over, please play responsibly. Let's get to Ask CJ. We got a couple questions here for you as we wrap up the Monday edition of the CJ Show. Uh, let's start from one from a deal pickle on Discord. For CJ and JM, regarding the trade deadline, do you fall on the side of get the trade done early to get ahead of the market or wait as long as possible to get a read on the market and get caught up in the pressure of a deadline? So early or late? It depends which side of the bet you're on. I think if you're a buyer and you're not a buyer, you know, the Islanders were desperate, right? The Islanders haven't scored in like a month. They've lost a ton of games heading into the the dead, the break. Like I can see why they, and the other thing is that the Canucks really wanted to move Horvat. Like I think they understood that this was the time. And so I, I can see why they just stepped up and did it because, you know, for them, they need, they need to win games literally starting Monday as we had it here out of the all-star break. They need to, to, to try to climb back into the playoff position. But I think if you're a buyer and you're comfortably in, if you're Boston or, you know, any of the teams at the top of the league that know they're going to make the playoffs, I think it, it generally helps to, to wait it out and, and let some teams overpay for the first items off the shelf. And so I would say, generally speaking, and sometimes the conditions are different, if I'm selling, I'd like to get out ahead of the market. Um, because I think there's, there's real risk of selling that you get to the last day or even last afternoon, the last couple hours before the deadline passes. And there's, you just don't have many buyers left and, and you've only got, you know, poor offers on the table. I think, it, I think it's way better to set your price and just go get it. Maybe even concede a little bit to get it done. I think if you're buying, generally speaking, it makes sense to wait until close to the end because often the prices come down. You know, you see Ben Chirac go for a first and then a lot of defensemen that maybe aren't, all that different than him go for a second or third or fourth um, because it, those deals are made afterwards and there's just not that many first round picks on the table. So anyway, it's negotiations. There's an art to it too. And like, obviously there's discussions already happening now, but I think a lot of it's like, Oh, you want this fourth water on my team? Well, you have to pay this, this, and this, and this, and this. But then the truth is we all know as March 3rd comes, you know, you probably just want to move your fourth liner if you're, if your team and going nowhere. So um, I, I think it's hard to get two teams that are really serious in the same moment this far out to make a deal. Uh, but it's happened once. We, we saw another trade with Jacob Magna um, on Sunday night. You know, that's a depth defenseman, though, being traded to Seattle for a fourth. So maybe we're starting to see some things shake loose. I feel like I'm on the opposite side only because if I'm especially now with how cap space is being used, if I'm in a position where I could max out as much cap space as possible and put myself in a position where I can get a player who could fit there. I want to consider that. And it's like, again, especially in the context of now where a lot of teams are hamstrung by that problem. Yes. There are teams that might want to go in a little early. Uh, but you know, if that means I have to kind of get thrown in with everybody else and I know I have the space and I, and I definitely know if I'm a team that has that space, I feel confident enough regardless that uh, I'm able to handle whatever price I could, I could do if that's how I feel about that. Um, rolling through these a bit quickly here from insider J money. Hello, my noble heroes of the hockey Twitter world. Thank you for the compliment. For Ask CJ this week, my question is with PWHPA players being involved with the All-Star game this weekend. Where do you think that you two as writers and insiders can help in increasing the visibility of the women's game? I guess by writing and talking about it. 
you know, like that. And I'm not, and I'm not being sarcastic. I think, I think the best way, you know, to me, what's kind of cool is you see the evolution back to San Jose all-star when of course you have Kendall Coyne, Schofield, you know, rip around and have that lap and it gets so much attention, rightfully so don't get me wrong, you know, but it was sort of a novelty that the female players were involved. Well, well now it wasn't a novelty, right? Like no one didn't seem weird. It didn't seem like a sideshow. You see the comfort level, even with the players interacting with, with the five women that were part of the, the skills competition. Like I think continued inclusion, obviously maybe we, we need to carve out more of a space on our pod to talk about the comings and goings of the women's game. I think that's, that's the way it happens. Um, but I do think it's heading in a pretty good direction. You know, I think that, I think that, it's funny. Like I had some talks with people like offline at the all-star weekend, like there is more money out there now for, for the players. And I just think, I do think the visibility will come. Honestly, I think that, I think that we're on our way, but I mean, if specifically us, let's talk about it a little bit more, Julie, maybe we have to be more cognizant of some of the storylines and goings on, 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 you know, the women's side of the game too. Absolutely. I I'm all for that. Uh, especially considering that the game is at points where they're trying to bump up salaries and that's being more and more public. Like I think those are really intri- intriguing storylines or if any partnerships go on, or if there's any discussions about uh, any more of those dream gap tours or, or, or league changes or, or notable players going from one league to another. I think if we're able to hop on those types of stories, that would be really great. And I think it'd be really relevant to what we talk about as a, as a hockey podcast. And I think a lot of people who listen to the show would appreciate it. And maybe it invites more fans as well. That's an idea. Absolutely. Last one for you real quick here. Uh, hi, CJ and Jan. This is from Dr. Sun on Discord. Last week, the SDP went over the Bachelor bios. What would your bios and fun facts be if you were contestants on the Bachelorette? And most importantly... Which mem- from which member of the SDP would you think would get the best rating? I, I don't know understand. anything about The Bachelor. Yeah, have you never watched it? Do you do you understand the premise? Yeah, I understand the. I know like a bunch of people go live at a house and like yeah, but I don't. I don't know. I've never really watched it, so I don't know. Like, is it is it just normal bios, or is it just like CJ likes long walks on the beach and? Yeah, you know, something something like a mash of, of normal slash. CJ like, likes a, a romantic coffee in the morning, followed by a run, <laughs> followed by a long walk on the beach. Like, I, don't, I don't know what my bio would be. <laughs> I, I think it might be that. Uh, I don't know about the second part of the question. I, I honestly didn't get to that episode of the SDP. Sorry. Uh, but like, yeah, I, in terms of bios, I mean, for me, like, I mean, I like a nice chamomile or chai tea in the morning. That's pretty nice. That's pretty romantic for me. Uh, we're both workaholics, clearly. No. Uh, yes, this doesn't work. This <laughs> isn't work. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Just both. Uh, well, you're a short king. Yeah. So yeah. are you. I'm barely, I pro- I'm barely I, that. I saw producer Nick in the press box at All Star too. <laughs> Shout I can't believe we got this part of the episode and I didn't like get to talk about that part of All-Star Weekend. Like being yeah. physically in the same space as producer Nick. Seriously, I would love to. He actually was creeping out behind me, taking pictures of me because I didn't notice him at first. <laughs> Sent it to the group chat, like the back of my head. I would have done the same thing too. Um, think of, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, hey, people who find us attractive. We're two handsome, relatively speaking, young men who have great voices how about that i'm good with that i don't know someone else should write my what kind of stuff i so here's the thing because i'm so old essentially i actually like i missed the whole tinder slash dating app things like and i'm so i'm not being funny about this like i don't know what you put on those bios i'm not sure are you supposed to be like cj loves to travel because i love to travel i guess maybe that's the kind of stuff you put on there I, i don't i don't know yeah i I'm not writing in anything from those. Nope, this is not the show for that. <laughs> nope. Well, I just, you know, I just assume me. being just your generation, you're a little more familiar with how that all goes down on there. So. Oh, absolutely. But uh, this is not the show for that. Absolutely not. We're not doing that. Let's not <laughs> Come on, you can. No. Come on, Julian. You can Let's say expose, something here. Let's not expose either of ourselves in our current situations. Absolutely not. No, we're not doing it. We can't, we can't go that far. We can't go that all right. far. I don't want this to be 
the CJ show slash bachelor pod. I don't want that. Absolutely not. All right. Well, I mean CJ more loves, than you, obviously. CJ loves long long runs on the beach and uh, and travel and hockey and good taste in wine. Yeah, uh, good food, good sports, good jokes, good times, and uh, good shoes. player. Love shoes. Good player. <laughs> good player. Good person. <laughs> now that's a great Daryl Sutter impersonation. Good job. Okay, uh, we got to roll. Uh, Let's wrap this. Let's do this before we... Because we're dangerously close to saying something we don't want to say. Absolutely not. Uh, Thursday, we'll be back with Stick Taps. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast, however you listen to the podcast. And we'll be back very soon. For CJM Julian, so long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.